This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. My last one was uh, 200. Canadians griping about their cell phone bills is not new. Uh, They're ridiculously high. Can't believe the rates we pay here. Right now, Canadian cell phone plans are among the most expensive in the G7. What is new? Political pressure and a regulator flexing its muscles. We've heard loud and clear from Canadians that their cell phone bills are a concern to them. The CRTC's wireless decision earlier this year dubbed the MVN No decision, given its very limited opening to mobile virtual network operators in Canada, sparked widespread frustration with the Commission. That decision was discussed on an earlier podcast episode with Dwayne Winsek and Ben Klass. It included one less discussed element, however, namely the expectation that the major wireless carriers would introduce low-cost plans to ensure connectivity for low-income Canadians. Those plans were recently rolled out, but John Lawford, the Executive Director and General Counsel of PIAC, the Public Interest Advocacy Centre, wasn't impressed. He wrote to the CRTC, asking it to take action over plans that aren't even offered under the main carrier brands. He joins me on the podcast to talk about that issue, the ongoing concerns with the wireless affordability in Canada, and deepening frustration with the CRTC. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. Yeah, I'm really glad you had a chance to come on and join. You know, before we get started on the specific issue that we're going to talk about around wireless and in particular some of the issues on these new low cost plans, can you tell me and the listeners a bit more about PIAC, the organization? I know that you have a regular podcast as well. Uh, so just fill people in for those that aren't familiar. Yeah, the Public Interest Advocacy Center is. Um, a nonprofit and, and charity, and we um, advocate on behalf of consumers and in particular vulnerable consumers for important public services delivered by private companies largely. So uh, telcos, airlines, um, your energy bills, this sorts of thing. And uh, we do a podcast called We Fight for That. Uh, and uh, and thank you very much for letting me mention it because uh, consumers need a, a leg up and information wherever they can get it. We try to provide that and advocate for them in all sorts of contexts, including like we're going to talk about today, the uh, the CRTC. Yeah, no, you guys have been doing great work for for a really long time, and it's, as I say, it's really great to have you on the podcast to talk about some of those efforts, in particular the issue around low-cost plans, though we can get into some of the associated issues around wireless a bit later. But why don't we start first with the low-cost plan issue? You recently wrote to the CRTC seeking action on the issue on these plans that were launched by the big three wireless companies. You know, for those that didn't haven't heard about this or this is something you know completely new, where did these plans come from and to the extent to which this is uh, a CRTC production in the sense that they mandated them? Uh, why did the CRTC move ahead and mandate low-cost plans? Uh, well, well, we'll come back to this. They didn't actually mandate them, um, but it came out of a decision uh, on wireless uh, services. So there was a big review in the last couple of years and the CRTC brought this comprehensive decision out on wireless and what's wrong with it and what we're going to do. And during that hearing, our group and a number of other groups on behalf of seniors and low-income customers said, 
we need an affordable cell phone package because even the entry level cell phone packages are too expensive for many Canadians and they're not serving uh, those that need a different kind of service, not necessarily the best smartphone and the highest uh, data plan. Uh, so we recommended that to the CRTC to be to be frank and and the CRTC's decision has a lot of problems, but um, they did create a section where um, they've uh, they've actually what I uh, I will say is expected into existence um, three types of plan and. Um, that word expect is very important because the CRTC said they expect these three types of plans to be offered by the large, uh, the three major providers and SaskTel in Saskatchewan. So that's Bell, Telus and Rogers and then SaskTel only in Saskatchewan. And uh, there's three types of plans. So I'll just go into those. Um, first of all, there's a low cost plan, which is $35 a month. It's meant to do basically what you need to do if you're the average person in society, it's unlimited Canada-wide calling, uh, text messages, and uh, three gigabytes of data. You have to bring your own device, but uh, it's meant to be an entry-level um, uh, plan, but be you know of, mo of utility to most people, and it's $35 a month maximum. Uh, there's a second one called a postpaid occasional use plan, um, and that one is only $15 a month maximum, but you only get 100 uh, minutes for calls uh, on uh, and, a, and a, a few um, uh, gigabytes, megabytes of data, only 250 megabytes of data. And you also get uh, unlimited text messages. But um, the last one is uh, what I think of as an emergency phone. People like to keep them in the drawer, for example, or if they're driving between two spots and they just need it in case they get stuck at the side of the road, it's supposed to be maximum of $100 for the whole year. And uh, you only get 400 um, anytime local minutes. And then you get a few texts, I think 400 or so. And um, after that, you have to pay for things like long distance and uh, additional texts. And um they don't have any data. So that's just sort of like a, an emergency uh, phone, but it's, um, as I said, $100 maximum a year. Now, just, just to underline what's going on with the, the mandating versus expected, the CRTC is very conscious of their language. And they did put in this decision that they expect these plans to be offered. But at the end of the day, if push comes to shove, the companies don't have to actually offer these at all. But when your regulator tells you to or expects expects you to, you'll do something. And that's where we are right now. Unfortunately, these plans are out and they don't look um, to be that useful. Okay. So not just low cost, but low usage as well, quite clearly. I mean, as some would say there's a correlation there. It's interesting that the CRTC framed it in the way that, that you just suggested they did. Now, you wrote to the CRTC expressing concern about where those plans appear. Can you expand a little bit on what your concern is with respect to the, the way these have been unveiled? Yes, the CRTC made a point in their decision of uh, expecting the companies to offer these plans on their flagship brands. So for Bell, that's Bell Mobility and Rogers, that's Rogers Wireless. And for TELUS, it's TELUS Mobility, rather than their um, their flanker brands or their discount brands. So each of those companies has a flanker brand. Uh, Bell has Virgin, um, Rogers has Fido, and TELUS has Kudo. And then they have very entry-level um, 
uh, discount brands. So Telus has Public, Bell has uh, Lucky, and Rogers has Chatter. And the CRTC made this point, as I said, of asking the companies to offer one of these plans at least on each of their flagship brands because they said consumers, in effect, don't trust the flanker brands. And that if they were only offered on the discount brands, that fewer Canadians who need them would try the lower cost plans because, because again, they would, they would fear poor customer service or, or, per, or per service uh, in general. So the CRTC makes a point, and, and, and the CRC talk a, a bit about that, the, the concerns that the public has, or at least the public perception has, the public perception when it comes to some of these flanker brands. Uh, yeah, and I think it's justified concern because the flanker brands uh, tend to have no in-person customer service. You have to do things online uh, or uh, through a chat service on the uh, the portals, which isn't convenient for many uh, seniors and other consumers with uh, with uh, needing a little extra attention. And so there's that annoyance. Uh, they provide um, less in terms of um, support uh, of all kinds. And I think as well, there are a number of additional charges, uh, which tend to be added for extras, which would be included in the flagship brand. And I believe the CRC was hoping that both the uh, level of service and trust that would come with the flagship brands and the additional, uh, sorry, and the, the, the lack of additional charges would make these plans um, more of more utility if they were offered on the flagship brands. And so, so you, you've written to the CRTC to express concern about how this is rolled out. Uh, what kind of reaction have you got either from the carriers themselves or from the CRTC? Uh, well, nothing from the carriers. Uh, we wrote the letter and the letter said, um, you know, we realize it's an expectation, um, but the companies don't seem to be living up to the spirit of this thing because we haven't been able to find these plans yet uh, on your flagship brands. And um, if the, you know, if the commission's expectation is that they will show up on the flagship brands, then the companies are off to a very bad start. So it was kind of a shot across the bow to the companies and to the CRTC to say, this is not a very good, it's not a very good omen or uh, it's not a very good harbinger of how the rest of the rollout of these plans is going to go for consumers. Okay, so what did what do you hope the CRTC will do in response to the letter? Well, I hope they are having at least back channel communications with the companies to ask them to to deliver uh, a flagship brand uh, plan, um, occasionally use or a low cost plan, so that consumers can choose the flagship brand and and get the service level and quality that they want. Um, in the meanwhile, there's not much more we can do because, as I said, the way the CRC's written this requirement or expectation into the decision, it's effectively unenforceable. Uh, and short of PIAC going back or some other party and, and reviewing that big framework decision, which would be a lot of work, um, we may just have to live with the voluntary efforts of the companies and the, the effort, so to speak, or lack of effort from the CRTC in getting these things to appear where they want them to appear. Yeah. Now, you know, I mean, this case strikes me as interesting for, for at least a couple of reasons. One, confidence in the CRTC 
broad, broadly speaking, especially recently and, and with respect to its approach to the carriers, as well as the wireless pricing issues that have been much discussed in Canada, but um, I think deservedly so, and we can get into that a little bit as well. Why don't we start, though, with the, the CRTC itself more broadly? Because, I mean, it is it is notable, it seems to me, that you know you've got you know, the CRTC coming up with a, a response to address the kinds of concerns that have been raised by the public around high pricing and affordability for a segment of society saying, hey, you need to find a solution because connectivity is so essential, but they stop short of actually requiring it. And so they're kind of left in this sort of gray zone a little bit where they've asked for something, they're not getting it, and you suggest that uh, it's not enforceable at all. Now, you know, what does that say in your mind about the CRTC, both on this issue and I guess even more broadly on their approach to, to wireless? I mean, coming out of the, the most recent uh, wholesale broadband decision. Yeah, big question. Um, well, the CRTC itself is rather feckless, unfortunately. They haven't had um, a go get them kind of attitude to um, customer affordability. In that wireless, review uh, hearing, we asked specifically for a lifeline type program like they have in the United States where there are um, in effect mandated um, prices for uh, low cost cell phone and, uh, and, and wireline services too, including internet. Um, and the way it works there is the companies receive a subsidy to offer these low cost plans to qualifying customers it's like the CRTC doesn't understand how that kind of program works, even though we explained it in our submissions. If you're going to have a plan in the market that is um, for low-income people is meant for affordability, uh, it has to be means-tested. You have to have only people who need that plan uh, be able to um, apply for it and, and access it. Otherwise, the companies have zero incentive to offer a low cost plan to all subscribers because they feel then that they are cannibalizing their other subscribers at say 50 or $70 a month. Why would they offer them the same thing for, for $35 a month? It doesn't make any sense. So CRTC misunderstands how to rule out a lifeline type program. Um, and also the CRTC has no legal basis to do so. So in the United States, again, the Communications Act has a section on universal service. We don't have that in Canada. So in effect, the CRTC doesn't have the legal basis to take that kind of bold action. I would prefer it if they were to try to move towards something like that on the rest of their jurisdiction, but without that explicit universal service obligation in our Telecommunications Act, we always go astray and we never get to doing this right. So it's just being done wrong. Yeah, so we've got sort of foundational policy related issues, even within the way the legislative framework stands. What about the the commission itself? And I'm not trying to to goad you into saying something you don't want to say, but we, you know, we've seen I think a lot of public criticism of late of the CRTC more than I can remember in in quite some time. You know, what what are some of your views? I mean, there's just this this general sense not just that the CRTC, that, that there are limits in terms of what the legislation looks like, but that we've seen a shift in approach with respect to the CRTC in which the the kind of consumer concerns, those broader public interest concerns don't seem to uh, be at the core of what they're trying to accomplish at this stage. And, you know, if you told someone that the CRTC said, yes, we need low cost plans, but they were unwilling to mandate them. 
I think for those that have been following the CRTC there, you'd probably get a shrug of the shoulders sort of saying, well, of course. I mean, the CRTC just doesn't seem willing to to take on the large companies at all, at least in the way that we saw at least for a number of years under some prior commissioners. Yeah, I mean, the most recent iteration of the CRTC's um, commissioners and, man- and managers, if you will, I feel has lost their way. I, I honestly think some people inside the CRTC think that this low-income thing that they've offered is enough and that we should be happy with it. And I show I think that shows how out of touch they are with it. And yes, there is regulatory capture in the sense that it's kind of a revolving door from the industry to the CRTC. And so the attitudes in, inside CRTC have become more and more um, favorable to the incumbents, which has come out in a number of recent decisions, which I believe you've also referred to in the past for wholesale access rates uh, for competitors. Also, there was just a decision last week uh, regarding access to in-building wiring in apartment buildings. And guess what? Competitors no longer get that access unless they can negotiate it with the incumbents, which means it will never happen anymore. those are just two symptomatic decisions. For example, the wireless decision, we also had uh, the CRTC being quite tone deaf as to what an MVNO is. They don't understand what it is because they said you have to have a network and spectrum in order to become a mobile virtual network operator. Well, the definition of a mobile virtual network operator is you don't have either of those two things. So it's just, they've lost their way. They're somewhat incumbent friendly and it's gotten to the point where you know, it, it becomes daunting to get any kind of results because it's infected by this attitude. I, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. There's, there's many areas we could touch on regarding this, and there's various levels of concern and frustration that I have. Just, you know, ask me about whatever you like. Yeah, no, so th- there there are these concerns we're seeing and expressed, I think, from a number of different places. Why don't we focus specifically on the on the wireless side, though, and, and the affordability, because that's where this issue came up. Now we see this, these issues come up regularly. We, we now see the, sort of the latest response from the large carriers is to say, well, the, the reason prices are high is because we pay a lot for spectrum coming out of the most recent spectrum auction. What are some of your thoughts in terms of wireless pricing in Canada and some of the affordability issues? Wireless pricing in Canada is high relative to the other OECD countries. It always has been. Uh, it's a closed market without foreign competition. So you have to effectively be a Canadian company unless you want to start very small and grow, which most foreign uh, competitors wouldn't want to do. Uh, as a result, with a concentrated market, you have high pricing. Yes, the companies spend a lot of money on investment, um, but that's just investment to guarantee future large returns. And they get rewarded by the stock market and they provide very large dividends every year because of that. Um, We're going from four ish um, uh, competitors on a semi national scale with uh, Freedom, which is offered by Shaw and the Big Three. And now with Rogers buying Shaw, or at least announcing its efforts to, uh, we'll be back to three. And every time there's a four to three merger in um, countries, uh, wireless prices tend to go up. So I'm, I don't have a lot of hope for it getting better in the short run. Um, how to solve that is really 
uh, a big question. So if you're asking me that, I would have to say uh, wireless pricing can either be regulated in the sense that we can regulate the rates of these companies if we're finding they're too high. And that's the way we used to handle telephone rates until about the mid, uh, well, until the early 2000s. Uh, or you can think of something even bigger, like structural separation, where you require the big companies to offer their wireless um, backbone, if you will, to any wireless competitor who wants to hook in and that they have to sell. For example, Bell has to actually, for its Bell mobility service, buy its backhaul from Bell Canada's network service. I don't think we'll get to either of those solutions. We're quite far away from that. But in, in the absence of those kinds of structural reforms, I think we're stuck with high prices and mm, maybe maybe high investment and fast services, but maybe you know quite overpriced services for, for at least the next decade. Okay, the next that's not very optimistic when you start talking about a 10-year well, time frame of continuing to have some no, high, but, the highest but, prices in the world. No, but you know, if if you're going to continue to um, allow mergers to go through every time a semi-national competitor comes up, or even on a regional basis, for example, where Bell bought MTS and, and MTS wireless, and the, and that keeps getting waved through the you know, the competition authority, and then the, the regulator appears to make uh, orders that um, continue to permit high pricing and, and won't entertain other, other structures. And the government may, may or may not pursue a, a, a tough sounding policy with the wireless providers, but ultimately cave. If that happens, and that's the repeating pattern, then yeah, no, I think it's, you're looking at 10 year kind of horizon. Okay. Uh, that's, so there, there isn't a whole lot to be optimistic about if you're looking at that kind of longer time frame. In the short run, we are likely, I think, to get an a federal election in the coming weeks. During the last election, last couple of elections, communication services, wireless issues played a, a pretty prominent role. There was each of the political parties took the time to stake out a position, make various promises and the like. Do you expect that we are going to see wireless playing a role again? And to the extent to which it does, what would you be looking for from the different parties or from any of the parties uh, from a policy perspective as, as potential solutions going forward? Well, I love playing political pundit, so thank you. Um, but my, my expertise is not in this area, so take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. Um, the... The difficulty with the party platforms, uh, and I do think it will be an election issue again, largely because communication has become so crucial during a pandemic, as we've all found out, including wireless, uh, and everything is moving wireless. Um, so I think it will be an election issue, but I don't believe that the political parties at the level their platforms have gotten uh, bold enough to, to change this repeating loop. Um, if you have a government come in as the Liberals did last time and say, we're going to lower wireless prices 25%, well, now you're open to shenanigans about how you measure that. And in my opinion, the way they measured their price reductions, claimed price reductions in the last two years was uh, open to such interpretation that it was easy to meet. So, you know, the, the Liberals in the, this round may say we've done it 
we've completed that job and and please reelect us so that we can continue to you know strong arm the companies into providing you cheaper services well they haven't because we're all spending at least as much or more on wireless so that's not true um the conservatives i don't see any um real prospect of bringing anything to the table that's different. The NDP in the last round, I believe, had a platform calling for something to do with regulating prices on wireless, but it wasn't specific enough. And I don't believe it um, relied on structural remedies like a, a structural separation, or um, if it was explicit price regulation, there wasn't enough detail there for me to for me at least, to believe that they would be able to achieve it with, with a mandate and a CRTC that is presently structured as it is. And the rest of the parties, well, uh, the block as well has sometimes made, made noises about regulation, but of course their perspective tends to end at the borders of Quebec. And, and lastly, the Greens, of course, have been having trouble all around, and I don't really know what their position is. But if I were to be a... A, again, a, a, somebody who was designing a platform, I would take a hard look at, at countries that have had to um, either nationalize or, um, or structurally separate the industry because such a concentrated one as Canada with the level of political power and, and financial power of the companies, including ownership of broadcasting assets, because those are the people that get to put your political ads up, it's such a formidable barrier that you have to think really bold and big. I don't have a lot of confidence in the Canadian political system to deliver big, bold policy prescriptions in platforms, but you know, I can dream. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people can dream, but it's uh, you know, you hope that the, those dreams are at least grounded in, in fact, and uh, in an understanding of where the law is. And uh, I'm grateful for you coming on to, to talk a bit about where things are and, and a bit about where things can be. So, John, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Well, thanks, Michael. I'm a kind of a glass half empty guy, as you can tell. Uh, so I'm glad to come and rain on the parade here a bit. But, uh, but people should um, take a hard look at those low cost plans. And if they're going to sign up for them, uh, just make sure you read all the fine print and, and we'll try to keep an eye on them as well. Okay. Great advice. Uh, thanks again, John. That's the law bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to law bites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LawBitesPod or Michael Geist at MGeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. <music>